This morning, as I already mentioned, we are beginning a brand new sermon series. And we're going to talk about a topic that I think is really important and really relevant for our world today and for us. Because over the next five weeks, we're going to talk about some of the more common modern idols that plague our world. But as we begin, I want a, a little disclaimer. We're not just going to sit and talk about those people out there and the idols that they worship. We're going to have to get open and honest with the ones that are living in our own hearts. Ones that maybe don't seem so obvious to us at first glance, but ones that are just as deadly and just as destructive as anyone else. And so, as we start today, I think it's really good to start maybe with the working definition of an idol. So how would you fill in this blank? If you're taking notes, this would be a good time to really jot this down or think of it mentally. But an idol is what? I don't know how you would answer that. I don't know what you wrote down in your notes or seared into your brain. But, but I'm guessing, if you're like most you maybe pictured something like this. These are just a, a plethora of the idols that people have had in their homes and they've had in temples and they've worshipped throughout the centuries. And if you thought that, I don't blame you. Not, not one bit, because almost every culture throughout history has had some form of an idol, something that they worship, something that... that that they were willing to give something to, to get something in return. I saw this firsthand about 20 or so years ago when I lived in Taiwan. Every day I walked the streets and I was kind of confronted with idolatry in a way that I never was in this country, because it was kind of out in the open. There was temples everywhere, and you could walk right into these temples. They weren't shut down. It was mostly open air, and you could see all the different statues to the different gods that they worshipped. And I saw people there praying to them, lighting their incense sticks and, and doing some bowing, and, and I saw people there leaving offerings of grain and, and bags of rice and all kinds of other foods. I saw people there taking... I called it monopoly money, it wasn't, but they would pay real money for this fake money that they would touch every piece of it and throw into this fire. And, and all of this they did to appease the gods and to make sure that their ancestors were taken care of in the afterlife. But that's just scratching the surface. Idolatry and idols are nothing new. I mentioned how every culture, every society had some form of them, and that includes in the Bible too. In fact, I don't know if you know this. If you ever read the Old Testament at any length, one of, a, one of the big topics that Khan brings up again and again and again is the topic of idolatry. Because you know who had a problem with idolatry? Not them. Not them over there, not that nasty country who, who, who didn't know better and had the true God. No, it was God's chosen people. You heard about one instance this morning in the book of Exodus where they worshipped a golden calf. 
I mean, think of how offensive that must have been to God. God just brought them out of Egypt, saved them from a bloodthirsty Pharaoh's army, and what do they do? They, Aaron, build us a calf, they worshiped it, and said, here are the gods that brought us out of Egypt. I wish I could say that that was the end of it, right? They learned their lesson. They had to drink the bitter powder of the idol that was crushed and mixed into the water, but it wasn't. They worshiped other gods. They worshiped gods like Baal and Asherah. Have you ever heard of them? In fact, I was going to get some pictures of them, but some of them are too graphic because those kind of gods had to do with fertility. And not just offspring fertility, but, but also like, fruits of, of the earth, crops and, and rain. And so they would set these Asherah poles and bring these Baal statues and they'd even bring them right into God's temple and put them right next to the altar of the Lord and they'd worship them. And you know how they worshiped? Sex. They would come in and they would sleep with temple prostitutes in an act of worship, right? They were willing to give up their sexual purity and their faithfulness to their spouses, all to worship Baal and Asherah with the hope and promise that they would take care of them. If that sounds bad to you, it gets worse. There was a god named Chemosh, a god named Molech. You can find them in scripture. Some think maybe they were the same god, but, but it doesn't really matter. This god was, was kind of this ugly-looking statue. It had horns, and it would have a its hands stretched out like this. It was made of iron. And then underneath the outstretched arms and hands, you know what they'd put? They'd put a fire. And you know what happens when fire and metal meet? It gets hot. It gets red hot. Those hands and the arms of Moloch would get hot. And then the people would come to worship. And you know the offering, the sacrifices they would bring, and they would place in the burning hands of Moloch? their children. God's chosen people would take their young sons and daughters and their babies and their infants, and in order to appease Moloch, they would place them in the searing hands of that God until their children were incinerated. Because that's how an idol works. Right? An idol promises to give you blessings, right? Protection or fertility or good crop this year. It promises to give you blessings if, there's always a catch, if you give them a sacrifice. One of the dangers in talking about idolatry that, that, that I'm afraid of, that I even slip into myself, is that I think we hear stories like this and we're like, oh my goodness, that's horrible. Who would do that? And we think, well, you know what? We don't. We're more sophisticated. We would never do that to our kids. We would never sleep with temple prostitutes. We'd never worship statues of wood and gold. No way. But is that really true? I mean, our idols might have changed, but when it comes to idolatry, the spiritual needle on idolatry hasn't moved one bit since the days of the Israelites worshiping the golden calf. 
idols are changed, sure. Maybe you're going to say, I've never worshipped a piece of stone. I don't have a little statue in my home that we bow down to and pray to. But there's so many things in our culture and in our world that's tempting us to come toward it. And it's promising us blessings if we give it a sacrifice. In fact, idolatry is the most dangerous and deadly spiritual issue that you face. Did you know that? God says so. I think about those Ten Commandments you heard, right? Moses shattered them, the tablets, right? Before Jesus says, don't whack anybody, don't murder them, don't even be angry or hate on them, before he says that, before he says, don't sleep with anybody who's not your spouse that you're married to, or don't steal, don't be rude, don't talk smack and gossip about somebody, don't disrespect your parents, obey the authorities placed over you, before he talks about any of those things, you know what God says? First commandment. Where's my confirmation, kids? I can put them on the spot. I won't, I won't, I won't. Adam's pointing at, I won't, Connor. Right, commandment number one. You shall have no other gods. Idolatry is the first thing God addresses because God knows, really, all the other commandments flow back to the first one. God knows that truth. So he says we got to talk about it. You know who else knows that truth? The guy's letter that we want to look at today. His name is John. And John, we're going to look at some of the writings that, that he presents to us about this topic. Now, who's John? If you're unfamiliar, John was a follower of Jesus. John was an eyewitness of what Jesus did and said, the crucifixion, the resurrection. He saw it all. He was there for the whole thing. And God had John write some, write some words about it. One of them, maybe you know, is the Gospel of John. Another book that God had John write is the last book of the Bible, a book called Revelation. But did you know that, that in between those two, John wrote three other books, we call them letters, and they go by a really, really unique name. First John, second John, <laughs> and third John. And so today we, we want to look at first John, right? Because kind of the whole thing about first John, if you, if you know this letter, we sometimes call it a, the love letter. It's all about Jesus' love for us. It talks about that Jesus is God. He loved us so much. He saved us when we were lost in sin. And that now in chapter three, he says we're God's children because of Christ. It's, it's just so awesome. You should read it sometime. But right at the end of the book, he says this, dear children, keep yourselves from idols. <laughs> what, really? I mean, John's saying all these amazing things, right? And then right at the end of the book, of all the ways that John could end it, he says, keep yourself from idols. He drops the mic, throws the pen down, exit stage left, book over. Why would John end his book like that? I think it's because John understood what his people then and the people that still read his book today would struggle with the most. He understood idolatry and how deadly and damning it can be. 
In fact, when John writes these words, there's something called Gnosticism that's infiltrating the church, and it was a false gospel, but John, as their pastor, watched one after another of his people who once believed and trusted in God walk out the doors, never to come back. He saw people listen to these false gods and these false preachers, and they turned and walked away from the true God, and John didn't want them to, right? So children, keep yourselves from idols. John, John's fear for his people then and, and for you today is that you're going to walk after a fake God in exchange for the true one. And so today, and over the next five weeks, we're going to be talking about hidden gods. And we could have called this anything we wanted. We could have called it fake gods, false gods, counterfeit gods, uh, no gods at all. We could have just said idolatry and put that up on the screen. But, but this word was chosen carefully, hidden gods, because a lot of the things that we're going to talk about today and over the next five weeks, on the surface, don't look bad at all. In fact, we're going to look at a lot of things that in and of themselves are actually good things, blessings that God has given to us that we have turned into gods. I go back to what I said at the beginning, right? An idol is. I don't know how you thought about that or what you put down on paper, but, but maybe think in terms of this. An idol is a good thing from God that we at times make an ultimate thing. Right? A blessing from God that we have put in God's number one slot ahead of him. See, idols are not always statues and stone and, and molex. Idols can be blessings that God gives to us that we actually elevate above him. And as we go through the five of them, this is why they're going to be so hard sometimes to, to identify and get rid of in our own lives because on the surface they're good and there's so many of them, right? There's work. God gives us work to provide for our families and to be a blessing, but, but we can abuse it. That There's families, there's relationships. God gives us our kids and our spouses and our families to be blessings, but sometimes we can make them in God's spot. There's money and there's sex, and there's all kinds of other things that are blessings in and of itself, but we sometimes worship them as God. So today, the first God up is the God that I'm going to humbly say is, is maybe the most difficult one of all, and maybe that's just me kind of being open and honest with you. Maybe it's mine, but it's the God of approval. You might know him by a different name. The God of approval goes by the name of popularity or acceptance or respect. And he doesn't matter what you call him. He just cares if you follow him. And you know what's so damning and deadly about this God is that he loves to pounce even on the youngest among us. Right, the God of approval is why even in elementary school we might pick on that classmate who's different because we want this group over here to like us. It's why we might actually be mean to that person on the playground because, because we were dared by that group, and they're the popular group, and we want their approval, we want their love, we want their acceptance, and so we do it. 
even if it means pushing him or her down or saying something that hurts worse than any bump or bruise. And the God of approval doesn't stop in elementary school. The God of approval keeps working as we get older, into our teen years and into our early 20s, and he will convince us to drink that and to drink that much or to take that pill or to sleep with that person just so they approve and like you. And we do it. And he keeps going, right? He's not like, well, now you're a full-grown adult. You know better. No, actually, he might work the best and get his best work done on us adults. I mean, think about this, right? Politicians. What are they all about? They talk about approval ratings, right? They'll, they'll say and do things and maybe even flip-flop what they say and think and believe just to get a vote, just to get somebody to like them. But before you think, yeah, nasty politicians, right? He does it to all of us, doesn't he? Maybe it's to get us to do something at work that maybe we, we know we shouldn't be doing, but if it makes the boss like me better, or I get the promotion, or I get the raise, or I make the rank, well, that's what I want to do because I want to be approved. Or maybe it's when you're talking to that group of people and, and, and all of a sudden he comes up or she comes up and, and they're all kind of bad-mouthing him and, and instead of saying and doing something and defending, you join in because you don't want them to think you're stupid or, or on their side. So, yeah, yeah, they're being dumb. Just see how they like you. I mean, think about social media, right? And, and don't get me wrong, social media is not from the devil itself. It can be used for great things. If you're using it to share Jesus, amen. But how often don't we use it to put a group down, whether it's that political post and say how that guy's an idiot, you're going to get people to like it. Or maybe it's you put the pictures up of your kids or your, your new hairdo and, and you're checking every time the phone dings to see how many people actually liked it and said how beautiful you are, how awesome you are. I think you've met this God of approval. And he works in so many crazy ways that we don't even know it half the time. And here's the thing. It happens here at church, too. I don't know if you know this, but I am under an extreme amount of pressure to be liked. All right? I, I want people to come here, and I want them to like you guys, and I want them to like this church, and I want them to like the message, and I want them to keep coming back so we can keep loving them and sharing Jesus with them. And so then, well, what are we going to say? Because if we say this, that group might not like us, or, or if we do that, they, they might not approve of us. But I'm going to let you in on a little secret. My wife knows this, and, and some of you who've gotten to know me over the years, and we have a great relationship, you know me, you know this too, that me and, and pastors in general, because I know a lot of them, this might be the biggest God that we have to wrestle with on a day-in and day-out basis. The God of approval. Because right? the God of approval is why sometimes I can go home on a Sunday afternoon after a, a great service and, and, and being able to proclaim Jesus and then think about the one comment made by the one person that they probably didn't even mean in a negative way. 
The God of approval is why sometimes I'll go home on a Sunday afternoon, and if you don't believe me, ask my wife, because she's allowed to share this with you. I can go home after church, and, and I can be crushed and let down by that one family, that one person who wasn't here, even though I've been texting, I've been trying to get them to come, but they can't come again, and wonder, well, what did we do? What, what did I do? Did we say something wrong? Did we do something? Did we not love them enough? Did we not welcome enough? And it's, oh, it's maddening. The God of approval is why I can focus on that one instead of the 99 that were here and praise Jesus for that. It's that God of approval that, that gets me to sometimes think about the one person who maybe did get ticked off and left because of something we said or did, or maybe it was just nothing to do with us at all. But then I'm thinking about that. How could we have changed it? I'm guessing you can relate to that too. Maybe not a, the way a pastor relates, because maybe some of you are thinking, I'm nuts. What are, what are you doing, pastor? But, but you can relate. Maybe it was the boss or the CEO that kind of passed you over. And you worked your tail off, and nobody noticed, nobody approved. You didn't get the promotion. You didn't get the raise. You didn't get the, the accolades. And you're a little upset. Maybe it's what she said or maybe it's what he didn't say that really got you angry because all you wanted was was a thank you is that too much to ask maybe it was your spouse who didn't give you that validation that approval maybe it was that parent who never tells you you're good enough and that's crushing See, I get it, because here's the deal. We all want to be liked. We all want to be loved. We all want to be proved. And in and of itself, I don't think that's sinful at all. But the problem is, there's times that we are willing to do anything to get it, even putting God down in the rung and approval in the number one spot. And that, my friends, is why John ends his letter the way he does with a warning. Keep yourselves free from idols. I also think that's why in the middle of his book, actually back in chapter 2, he, he kind of fleshes this concept out a little bit, and this is what he says. He says, do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh... The lust of the eyes and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. See, friends, idolatry and this hidden God of approval is nothing new. Because John says, don't love the world or anything in it. Because you know what the world loves? You know what the world craves? You know what the world would do anything to get? <laughs> Approval. Acceptance. Respect. Honor. You name it, right? Think about like all the different awards that we give, all the special days that we have, all the 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 all that kind of stuff. And, and again, don't get, don't misunderstand what I'm saying. I'm not saying those things are wrong and sinful, 
But look at what the world craves. It craves approval. It craves accolades. It craves honor. It craves, yeah, you're so awesome. And the world will do anything, anything to get it. And if you live that way, guess what the world will do with you? It will love you. The world will embrace you and accept you into their tribe. They will applaud you. They will invite you. They will not leave you out. They will honor you and approve of you if you live that way. But God says that's a dangerous path. Because he's saying all those things, it's not coming from, from God. It's worldly. And the worldly things, those will pass away. Take a look again. I want you to take a closer look in verse 17, right? It says, For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, and don't just think sexual lust, right? Going after material stuff, and I gotta have, right? Lust is this craving to have more and to meet all of our desires, right? The lust of the eyes and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. And so here's what God's saying to you today. If you want approval, if you want the approval of the world, then you are going to have to think, act, and do as the world does. Because if you do that, it will love you, right? Remember the whole, like, it promises blessings if you give up sacrifices? But, but here's the sacrifice. You're going to have to give up your faith and belief in what God says in his word about a whole bunch of things. If you want the approval of the world, then you're going to have to give up your belief in God's word on things like sex and marriage. Because God's word says no sex till you're married, and marriage is between a man and a woman. And you know what the world won't do? The world won't accept that. They won't applaud you. They won't think you're cool and great. If you talk like that, they're going to shun you. So you're going to have to give that up if you want the world's praise. If you want the world's approval, you're also going to have to give up your, your, your dealings with your family and your friends and material possessions, right? Because the world says, those are great, but, but it's about you. Chase after your dreams. Get what you want. Consume more. It's about you. And when God says the motto should be you first to your spouse, your kids, your coworkers, your friends, everybody else, or think of others better than yourself, the world says, come on. But what about you? <laughs> If you want the approval of the world, you're going to have to change your thoughts on money and possessions. Because God says, I'm going to give you all those things to be a blessing, and those are going to be great things. And the world says, well, consume them the way you want to. And God says, no, no, give, give to me and give to others and love and serve me and love and serve others ahead of yourself. And you'll still be fine. Don't worry about it. But the world says, come on. It's about you. But if you live this way, again, the world is going to praise you, it's going to accept you, but that path will walk directly away from Jesus. And I don't have to guarantee you that. God says so. So, what are we supposed to do about these hidden gods? But if you crave and desire approval and acceptance, and in and of itself, there's nothing wrong with that. We all want to be loved and accepted and liked. 
but there's going to be a couple things you got to do if you want to keep it God's way. Number one, hunt it down and reveal it. You know, one of the things that, that, that I know I struggle with with these hidden gods, and maybe you do too, I'm guessing you do, is we don't want to hunt it down because then we have to expose it, we have to think about it, we have to admit that, yes, we, we worship some of these hidden gods. And so we, we kind of keep it in the dark closet. God says, don't. Hunt it down. Whatever idol it is that you're hunting, hunt it ruthlessly. Find it with the help of Scripture and God and his word, and then reveal it. How do you reveal something? You bring it out into the light of Jesus. Right, don't justify it. Don't rationalize it. Hunt it, reveal it, and evict it from your heart because it will kill you. Be ruthless with those idols, guys, because they don't love you. They don't have your best interest in mind. At the end of the day, an idol will always break your heart because it can't give you what it promises. So hunt it, reveal it, get rid of it. But then you're going to have to do this. Replace it with God. Not another idol, not another false god, not another imposter, but, but actually replace it with God. You know, I can't help but think, as we talk about idols and approval, it makes me think of a story from the Old Testament, the story of Queen Esther. Maybe you know it, maybe you don't. And really, the thing that I think about is not Esther herself, right? Esther is this Jewish exile living in a foreign land, and she becomes queen. And then there's another character in the book called Mordecai. That's Esther's relative. And Mordecai worked for the king and the government. He was a, an official. And he did some good things, like he stopped the assassination of plot on the king. And then there was another guy. His name was Haman. He was kind of even higher up, kind of the right-hand man to the king. And Haman hated Mordecai. And you know why Haman hated Mordecai? Because the king loved Mordecai and approved of him, and Haman felt slighted. Right? Mordecai was given this parade, and he was honored for, for saving the king's life, and Haman thought, I should be getting the praise. I work my tail off. I do everything for the king. I'm loyal. Why doesn't he approve of me? Why doesn't he love me and like me? And he was angry. And eventually, he would be put to death. His idolatry led to death. Now, the, the big question in that whole story is this, I think. Why was Haman so mad? Was he wrong in working hard and wanting the approval of the king? Absolutely not. In and of itself, no way. You know what Haman's problem was? He wanted approval, he wanted love, he wanted acceptance, but he was looking to the wrong king. Friends, do you want approval? Do you want to be liked and loved and accepted? Then look to God for it. Not the counterfeit gods, not the hidden gods that, that promise it. Actually look to God. And see him as he is. Right? Like, like John helps us in his book. See Jesus as he is. Jesus is God. Not a fake and not a phony not one who promises to give you something but takes from you like an idol does. No, he wants to give you and keep giving to you and he asks for nothing in return. Right? Jesus is God and as God, you know what Jesus did? He came. 
He came to this sin-filled, broken ball of death that was spinning out of control, dying because it was choking on its own sin, and he willingly came, right? He gave up heaven. He gave up the glory. He gave up the, the approval and the praise of all the angel armies to come here for you. You see that? Right, Jesus, he, he came so that he could go to a cross where he would be nailed to it and he would die to pay for all the times that you and I chase the hidden God of approval. Jesus was willing to go to a cross and die for all the times that I've worshipped lesser gods and not him. Jesus was willing to go to a cross and die to take away your sins, your guilt, your shame. To set you free. I mean, right? I mean, how crazy is this? Jesus, he willingly gave up the approval of this world so that you could be approved by your Father. Right, because of what Jesus did, God not only approves of you, he not only loves you, he actually likes you and he wants you in heaven forever. Do you get that? Because of what Jesus has done, the Father approves of you. And John in chapter 3 tells us that he actually calls us his children. All because Jesus died and rose for us. You are a child of God. And when you know that, when God gives you the faith to trust and believe in that truth, come on, y'all, whose approval do you really need? Do you really need the boss's approval? No. Do you really need that guy's approval? No. Do you even need the approval of your kids or your spouse or your pastor or parishioners? The answer is absolutely not. You got the approval of the king of the universe. The one who will never ask you to, to give up things, right? Because if you, here's the deal. If you chase after the God, that hidden God of approval, you will have to give over your peace and joy. Did you know that? If you didn't know that, you know by experience, right? If you're chasing the approval of all those people I mentioned, they'll never fully do it the way you want or need them to do it. Because they can't. They're not Jesus. If you chase after the hidden God of approval, you will have to give away your peace and joy, but not with Jesus, <laughs> not with the king. He says, you can keep the peace, you can keep the joy, and I got a truckload more for you, right? You never have to wonder if you've done enough. You, you don't have to measure up. You don't have to earn his love and favor and approval. You already have it. And that's what I want you to leave here today with, right? You have and know Jesus, so no one can take your joy and peace. I want you to know that. I want you to have all the peace and joy that Jesus came to bring. I want you to know of who you are in Christ, that you're his child, and so that you and I both can stop chasing after these hidden gods and run to him. Because you're loved. You've been forgiven. You've been saved. You are approved by God himself because of what Jesus, your Savior, has done. And with his approval, who else do you need? No one. Amen.